Um, I, I, I looked at you this morning and thought, oh, it's going to be small in number. And it, and it is in some sense. It's, it's half term. So all the kids go away on holiday. All the mums and dads go with them, strangely enough. But that's, that's the way it goes. Anyway, we've got lots of visitors today, and it's really nice to see the visitors. And thank you for coming and swelling our numbers. Uh, and, it, and it's very good to see you all. We're going to start this morning by singing, Lord of all power, I give you my will, in joyful obedience, your task to fulfil. Now, we're going to stand and sing this, and then afterwards, please sit down again, okay, and we'll continue. As is normal in a service, you'd sing a hymn and then remain standing for a prayer. We're going to pray, but I want you to sit. I, I know that some... Mums and dads are struggling with children and so on. And for myself, I sometimes feel I can relax and perhaps focus and con concentrate in some ways better when I'm sitting. Now, I know that isn't true of everybody, but I, I just would like us to sit and to think and sit before the Lord and in the words of David, perhaps, gaze upon the beauty of you, Lord. Lord, we've sung about you. We've sung... Lord of all power. Father, we recognise you as the Lord of all power, the one who has made everything and the one who lives in light unapproachable. I don't understand those words sometimes, Lord, but can it be real that you also are with us here in this place? Father of mercy, thank you. I know that you are here in this place with us. And Father, at the beginning of our service together, we come to ask for your rich blessing on the things we're going to do and what we're going to think. And Father, I ask that you will help our hearts to be inclined to you. Lord Jesus, thank you for being with us and being here and knowing us and enabling us to know you to some degree and through you to know your lovely Father. Lord, when we, at this place or any other place, turn our hearts to you in sorrow, Lord, then... Hear our prayers and comfort us. And when we turn our hearts to you in pain, and I know that's true of some, dear Father, hear our prayers and encourage us and bless us. And when we turn our hearts to you in joy, Lord Jesus, rejoice with us. I know you do. Bless us this morning, Lord. Please bless me in leading this service and all of us and help us to come close to you. Amen. Richard is going to give us announcements and he's also going to lead us in our pastoral prayer. Tell a little bit more about the funeral arrangements for our sister Mary. So the funeral is on Thursday, the 3rd of June. Starts at 11.30 at Altrincham Crematorium and then there'll be a service of thanksgiving here at 12.45 which will be led by Lionel and Tony. There will be refreshments served 
once that service is finished. We're expecting upwards of 200 people, so we're hoping to be able to relay the service in some way to the youth church building because um, it will get pretty full in here, we imagine. In particular, please be very careful and considerate if you're parking and driving. Um, bear in mind our neighbours around the Bethel and perhaps try and car share or park further away and walk if you can. I currently don't have any information about flowers or donations and we'll pass this on um, by email if we can as soon as we know. Under our care news this month, we're thinking about people whose primary work is witnessing through a caring profession. Some of you will be aware of the situation regarding Claire. Claire Dickinson is a mother of three um, girls who attend youth church, Rebecca, Ellie and Alice. Claire's had a fairly serious operation and should be doing nothing, but instead um, still has three girls to care for. We think it would be really nice if people could help Claire and her family by making meals for them. And if you feel able to do that, could you speak to Vicky, please, um, who's hoping to spend some time with Claire this week. Andrew's already been round and taken some flowers and a card on behalf of all of us at the Bethel. We had some sad and difficult news from Mark and Elaine about their unborn baby. And whilst they seem to have had a false positive the result in regards to test for rubella, I don't think we can assume that all is well. There are more tests and a scan to come. So please hold up Isabella and Mark and Elaine in your prayers and their unborn baby and show them your love and compassion. Rebecca and Julian have gone into extra time and are now waiting for the penalty shootout. <laughs> That's as of yesterday. I don't know anything about today. had a note from Sheila. Some of you will know Steve Bold, who is the architect who's been... Um, doing some work on our extension. Steve's wife was assaulted during the week, has a broken nose, cuts and bruises, and obviously very shaken and afraid, so we'll remember her in our prayers. Particularly nice to see you, Jack, this morning. I'm really glad that you can be with us this morning. Is there anybody else that we should remember before God in our prayers this morning? Okay, if you stay in your seats, then we'll pray together. Father, we've reflected on our family and our church and all the different people who are part of our community in different ways. And we have news that fills us with expectation and hope, the promise of the birth of new babies. We think about those who mourn. We give thanks for lives lived in godly service. We think about Steve and his wife, who both will be shaken and sad and hurting. We think about Claire. We pray that she'll be quick to heal and that you'll help us to find ways to support her and her family. Father, you know our hearts and you know our own secret pain and our secret grief. You know the people that we care for and hold dear to our hearts. And I pray that you will listen to the cry of our hearts for all those that we love. We trust you. We trust you to do the right thing for those people. And we pray that our faith in you will remain strong. Don't leave us sitting idly, Father, but 
stir us up to do whatever we can, whatever is right, to care for all these people and more, so that they might experience through us the love and compassion that you revealed to us in Jesus, and that keeps us close by you until he comes again. Amen. Thank you, Richard. We're now going to sing again. We're going to sing, My Jesus, My Saviour. Now, I know that when this, when this song was first introduced, there was concern that we're saying, My Jesus, as if he belongs to us. Well, it's not quite like that, is it? It's almost the other way round. We belong to him, which is why we call him My Lord and My Saviour. My Jesus, my Saviour, Lord, there is none like you. Let's stand and sing this together. The readings that we have in the, uh, the daily reading thing, I know that we don't all necessarily follow that, and I don't, but I read other things. But the readings that we have are, this morning, taken from Hebrews, and we're going to read from Hebrews. It's chapters 1 and 2, but we're not going to read 1 and 2, we're going to read 1 and 3. Uh, you'll understand why a bit later on. Anyway, we're going to read chapter 1, and uh, Debbie Standeven is going to come and lead us in the reading of that chapter. Hebrews chapter 1. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times, and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory, and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he'd provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have become your father? Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. In speaking of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds, his servants flames of fire. But about the sun, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever, and righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. He also says, In the beginning, O Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, but you will roll them up like a robe, like a garment they will be changed. But you remain the same, and your years will never end. To which of the angels did God ever say, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Thank you, Debbie. Hebrews is very much about 
the superiority of Christ, isn't it? It elevates Jesus to his rightful position. He is superior to the angels. And as the writer goes on, he talks about him being superior to to others, to the high priest, to Moses and so on. The second chapter has some lovely bits in it, and I wish we had time to do it all, really, but some bits about Jesus saying, in the end of verse 11, so Jesus is not ashamed to call them or call us brothers. And he's made like his brothers, and that's important for us to to recognise and accept. But we're going to go on and we're going to read chapter 3. And Margaret Leng is going to come and read that for us. Hebrews chapter 3. Therefore, holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest whom we confess. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honour than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honour than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, testifying to what would be said in the future. But Christ is faithful as a son over God's house, and we are his house if we hold on to our courage and the hope of which we boast. So as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the desert where your fathers tested and tried me and for forty years saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation, and I said, their hearts are always going astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart, that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. As has just been said, today, if you hear his voice, Do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for forty years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the desert? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Thank you, Margaret, for that. I want to mention some things in those chapters in Hebrews, but I'm not going to go through them, as it were. It's just some ideas that, that have come partly from there. We come this morning, as we do every Sunday, to remember That's what Sunday mornings are about. They're about remembering, aren't they? They're about remembering the Lord Jesus. And 
remembering his death and, and that's true but well I want to look at that but I think there's something else that it's, it's about as well I think two things happened at the death of Jesus which I think are significant one of them you will know about very easily and very well and I don't tend to spend too much time at it but uh, I'd like you to turn with me to John's Gospel in chapter 20 and if you know John's Gospel at all and certainly when you get there you will appreciate that chapter 20 is very much about the resurrection so it's not specifically about death although that's really part of what it's about it's about the resurrection, about the empty tomb and I'm sure that you've heard these ideas well I'm sure that I've talked about some of these ideas before <clears throat> but if you go to chapter 20 uh, you see in verse 10 that um, the disciples have come to the tomb and then they've gone home and Mary's left there and it says then the disciples went back to their homes but Mary stood outside the tomb crying and as she wept she bent over and looked into the tomb and she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been one at the head and one at the foot <clears throat> it's, it's a picture isn't it? Um, I think there's lots of pictures um, <clears throat> Um, and if you, if you think about the slab, which is where the body would have been laid, and at one end there was an angel, the other end there was another angel, it's very much like the Ark of the Covenant, isn't it? Very much like the Ark of the Covenant. But there ain't no body there. Now the Ark of the Covenant was very much about God being there, seated between these cherubim. It was his seat, you see, and... Uh, that's really what it was about. But there's nobody there. Now, if you go back to Luke 24, Luke 24 is the same passage, but <coughs> Luke says it differently, or he says some different things there, which I, I think um, are useful. Um, the women are there. Or it says women here. I, I don't know if there was just Mary uh, in John's Gospel, but there were women, certainly. Women at the tomb. And just... Um, uh, reading from verse 4, it says in, verse, in chapter 24 of Luke and verse 4, while they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning um, stood with them. <clears throat> in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? I just think that's significant. You know, there's the tomb, which is where the dead bodies are. And as I said, there ain't nobody there. And the angels say, why are you looking for the living among the dead? And I think this, this, little, this little picture is really saying to us, well, the ark is finished. I mean, actually, the ark finished an awful long time ago. In Jeremiah, it even said that they wouldn't even remember the ark when it had gone. And you, you get the feeling that it went into captivity or something, got lost or whatever it was. But it, it was God's intention that they wouldn't remember it. Perhaps they were starting to worship it or something. I don't know. But, <clears throat> but here, we're being told that's finished. And the law is finished. Not that it was wrong. Not that it was bad. It was good, it was a great blessing, it was God's blessing to the people of Israel. But it, it's for its, its usefulness was filled up, was full. That, that's one thing anyway. Now the other thing is, is uh, you'll find this in John's Gospel in chapter 12. Um, <clears throat> I find this one interesting because uh, this happens 
just before Jesus dies. But the wording, I, I just find very intriguing. And I, you don't often hear people talking about it, uh, which is another reason why I find it interesting. Look, John's Gospel, in chapter 12, and it says in verse 20, <coughs> Now there were Greeks amongst those who went up to worship at the feast. And they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew, and Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. Why is that significant? Well, look at the next verse. It says, they go and see Jesus, and they tell him, and, and Jesus says this in verse 23. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. It's as if Jesus has been waiting for a sign. And that's it. Greeks come. Now, they're proselytes, I'm absolutely certain, because they come up to worship, so they must be proselytes. <coughs> but they're Greeks, and it says that, Luke, John says it very specifically, they come and they say, we want to see Jesus. And something happens, something very significant, because Jesus says, ah, the hour has come. That's it. That's the trigger. That's the sign I've been waiting for. That's what tells me it's about to happen. Funny, isn't it? Why, why that? Why the fact that Greeks come and say we want to see Jesus? Well, I think, I've said this to one or two people before, I know, but <clears throat> I think... This is what happens. I think the Greeks come and, and Jesus uh, realises that, that it's all about to happen and suddenly, suddenly, from then on, from the death of Jesus onwards, the family of God explodes. That's what happens. In Acts chapter 2, 3,000 people join them. By Acts 4, there's 5,000 of them. And we don't know what the numbers are from then on, but it suddenly explodes. And it's as if Jesus has been waiting for that sign and that would tell him it's about to happen. Now, if you go back to chapter 11, it says some interesting things there. Chapter four, verse 45 of chapter 11 talks about a plot to kill Jesus. And in 49, there's uh, the high priest uh, spoke out. And he says in verse 49, towards the end of it, you know nothing at all. You do not realise that it is better for one man to die for the people than that the whole nation perish. And, it, and John's comment is... He did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation and not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. That's why Jesus died. Well, that's not the only reason, I think. I think all sorts of things. But that's certainly part of the reason why Jesus died. 
And it sort of struck me that, goodness me, if these Greeks coming to Jesus and the potential preaching of the gospel to Greeks, to Gentiles and so on, was so important that that actually triggered Jesus going to the cross, then, goodness me, there's some sort of responsibility on us, isn't there, to preach the gospel and carry on what Jesus came and died for? Isn't there? It was a birth. Something happened. It was the birth of the church. Or I, I, I don't mean by that that the church, in terms of the Jewish church, and also Gentiles in God's purpose and so on, didn't exist before. It did. It ex- has always existed, right from the beginning. That's true. But in a very special sense, the church, of which we are a part, <coughs> would be a mixture now of Jews and Gentiles. I don't know if there are any Jews. There's some of us who've, who've perhaps got a bit of it in us uh, and so on. But, um, <clears throat> but that it's cosmopolitan, isn't it? We're, we're from all parts and tribes and nations. And, and that is lovely. <clears throat> and it would grow like wildfire. Well, it did, didn't it? <clears throat> is it doing that now? Should it be continuing to do that, or, or is it going to die and we accept that it dies? Or, or do we have a responsibility to actually tell others about that power and that bringing together of Jews and Gentiles into the Lord's church? Growing like a newborn baby. Well, that's what it is. It's a birth, isn't it? It is a birth. And of course, at the beginning of a birth, well, when a birth happens, there's a lot of pain. And Jesus himself talks about that. He says, <clears throat> you don't drop a, a grain of seed into the ground and, and, and it, until it dies, it will produce lots of fruit. The words weren't quite like that, but you know what I mean. <clears throat> you know, I went to Bessie's birthday party the other day <clears throat> and I know that some other children came to that and there were other birthday parties and, and so on. And it was a glorious day. You know, parties are great, aren't they? Birthday parties are great. And <clears throat> it was a glorious day. The sun was shining and it had been raining before and we were a bit concerned about whether it was, it, it was going to be nice or not. And it, it was just lovely. And <clears throat> there was, you know, you know what kids are like. Uh, you're going to see it over there when you get into the Sunday school room, uh, when you stay for lunch. You are going to stay for lunch, aren't you? Yeah. <clears throat> and, um, kids, they, they laugh and they run about and it's, there's a kind of exuberant joy, isn't there? <clears throat> and a kind of, um, hysterical laughing almost. Now, <clears throat> there's a word, there's a Greek word, hilios, which is related to hilasterion, which is a word used to to trans- be translated as the mercy seat in Hebrews. But I, I feel Hilius has got something to do with hilarious laughter. It has, is actually to do with cheerfulness. You know, I, <clears throat> you know, brothers and sisters, we've got to laugh a bit. I mean, I think we've got to laugh with the Lord a bit. I think the Lord, you know, I think the Lord laughs. I think the Lord is joyful. I think it's important that we'll come back to it. Um, Hebrews, Hebrews chapters uh, 1 and 3. 
The Greeks say, we want to see Jesus. And in chapter 3, right at the beginning of the chapter there, it says, Therefore, holy brothers, who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus. It says somewhere else, I can't remember exactly where it is. Fix your eyes on Jesus. But fix your thoughts on Jesus, brothers and sisters. That's what he's saying. That's what this writer is saying. Fix your thoughts on Jesus. Are your thoughts fixed? On Jesus, my guess is, if you're anything like me, they're far from it most of the time. But are they ever? Do you focus on him as you do with your eyes? You know, when you want to see something, it might be in the distance, if you're looking for somebody in a crowd, your, your, your eyes have got this uncanny ability, haven't they, to pick somebody out, and to, to focus on and zoom in, and there it is, and, and you see that person in a funny sort of way, you don't see anybody else, do you? You see that one person. Are you like that with Jesus? And I, look, I'm talking to myself as well, but I do honestly think that we must be, sometimes. <clears throat> Um, go back to chapter 1 because there's, there's something there which I'd like to, I'm sorry my thoughts are a bit sort of all over the place this morning um, that, that's the way it is <clears throat> those of you who get up and speak you will know that you, you have some thoughts you try and put them into some sense and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't work quite like that but anyway <clears throat> chapter 1 uh, chapter 1 has got some lovely bits in it you know uh, in verse 3 it says <clears throat> the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. I, I think those are glorious words. I haven't got to the bottom of them in any sense at all. But they tell me something about Jesus. Something wonderful about Jesus. And the fact that Jesus is or came and is involved in your life and my life is, is quite amazing, isn't it? This one who is the radiance of God's glory is concerned with you. But <clears throat> the writer quotes from a psalm, from Psalm 45, and in verse 8, <clears throat> uh, and it says, um, Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. And we sometimes have difficulties with that. We mustn't do. Um, this is Jesus and... Uh, we must recognise that Jesus is unique and different to us and, and he is Emmanuel, God with us. Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever and righteousness will be the scepter of your throne. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, your God has, sorry, therefore God, your God, has set you above your companions and anointed you with the oil of Joy anointed you with the oil of joy. You know, joy is very important, brothers and sisters. <clears throat> when the um, when the children of Israel went into the land and and they went up to worship, uh, God said to them. <clears throat> uh, when you come into my house, be joyful. I don't want any long faces. You know, I want you to rejoice. On particular occasions, uh, that was very true, like things like the, um, uh, the, the Feast of Tabernacles and things like that. <clears throat> um, I want you to rejoice. 
That's a quote from uh, Psalm 45, the oil of joy. But I want you to to come to uh, Psalm 21. Come to these. It says something about God. And I want us to recognise that this is what God is like. Psalm 21. This is a Psalm of David. um, And it says some lovely things. I can't read all of it. Uh, let's just read a, 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 Well, just one verse, really. He's talking, David is talking about um, God and, and the king and so on. He says, and he's saying that God has granted him the king things. And he says in verse 6, Surely you have granted him eternal blessing. You have made him glad with the joy of your presence. Well, presence is actually the word face. With the joy of your face. When you go over to the Sunday school room and, <clears throat> you know, all the kids are running around, there's not so many now because they're all on holiday. They're all, I told you that, didn't I? Um, <clears throat> and they the mums and dads will be doting over them. And, and even the grandmas and granddads, there's some grandmas and granddads at the back there, and they were doting over their child. And, and, and you see what happens to them, what happens to their face. They go into a world of their own. Did you notice that? They go into a world of... And it's very difficult to reach them when they're in that world. There's another dad over there. He knows what it's all about. Um, <clears throat> they, they, they are absorbed completely with a feeling for their children. And, and they are looking at them and watching them grow and take great delight in them and they watch them develop and, and mature and, and learn and make mistakes but also um, learn from the mistakes and all sorts of things like that. <clears throat> and their faces have this, have this incredible kind of um, glow to them. I mean, the mums and dads and the grandmas and granddads and things, there's an incredible sort of glow where they, they feel this joy, this overpowering joy. And I think that's what David's talking about here. Surely you have granted the king eternal blessing and made him glad with the joy on your face. Hey, when you, when you next talk to the Lord, think about that. He's got joy on his face because you're talking to him. It might be that you're talking about a problem. It might be that you're sad and you're in tears maybe, but nevertheless, there is joy on his face. Not joy at your sadness or whatever the problems are, but joy in the fact that you, his child, have come to him. And Jesus is like that, you know. And he has joy on his face that is not just on his lips, not just a smile. But you, you know what I mean. When you talk to some people, they smile, but it's all just, uh, just around their mouths. 
It's joy and a smile that goes to their eyes. And their eyes crease up and I think that's Jesus. Jesus feels that for you. For all of you. Come over to 16, Psalm 16, because he says it there again. Verse 10, we we recognise as a verse that's about Jesus, isn't it? Because you will not, not that David knew it then, I think, because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay, you have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy of your face, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. You will fill me with the joy on your face. Brothers and sisters, if you don't see the joy, then you won't be gladdened by it. Be gladdened. Know that when the Lord looks at you, his child, there is joy on his face. These are Psalms of David. I think David felt that. I think David felt joy, you know, when he danced before the Lord, etc., etc. When he, it talks in another Psalm about him uh, sitting and gazing on the beauty of the Lord. Gazing in joy. I think David sometimes, particularly when he danced, but not just then only, but other times as well, he was beside himself. You know, we say, beside himself with joy. I'm not quite sure that I understand what that means, but I know it means that it's wonderful. He's, he's almost out of control. He's beside himself with joy. I, you know what I think? I think God is beside himself with joy because of you. Not because you're good. Not because you are able to do his will completely. But because you're his child. Does God really rejoice? Does he? You know, in a sense, I think this, I know we're very morbid often, at a breaking of bread and there's all sorts of other reasons why we might feel that at times but this in a sense is a party this is a celebration this is a birthday party of the church this was when the church was born Jesus is alive he's not dead he's not suffering and we come to celebrate the fact at Bess's party oh it's lovely lovely event lovely event this has got to be a lovely event I mean not because of the bloke standing up here saying things to you but because you're here and the Lord is smiling and his, his eyes are creasing up with love and joy because of you that's why Bessie at times, and I'm sure this is true of most kids, you know, know, they they sort of start to giggle. They they have this kind of uncontrollable laughter. And it doesn't matter what you do, you just can't shut them up. You can't stop it. (coughs) Uh, Sylvia and I were talking 
in the week about um, Abraham and Sarah. And you know that time when Sarah um, laughed because God promised her a child. She laughed. Sylvia pointed out to me, you know, God, God doesn't reprimand her. Reprimand her. Doesn't punish her. It's, it's, a sort, of, it's a sort of nodding and smiling. You'll see. And of course, the child comes. And Sarah is filled with, well, kind of uncontrollable laughter. Isaac means laughter. She's filled with Isaac, isn't she? And Isaac is born and brings laughter into her life. Does God really rejoice? Ah, yes, he does. And he rejoices over the things that we sometimes get very annoyed at. You know, he rejoices over people. He rejoices over us. Come back to Hebrews. Just one other sort of idea that I I want to take from there. We talked about um, coming to the Lord. Listen, your relationship with the Lord... I've said in the past it's personal. It is personal, but it's more than personal. It is individual. That's ever so important. I, sorry. Ruth says to me, that's what you always say, important. That's important. That is, that's ever so important. I, I apologise for all those sorts of words, but anyway, <clears throat> just, just overlook all of that. But it is important. It is important. Your relationship is individual. You don't come to God as a collective group. It's individual. That means to say that there's an obligation on you as an individual to do something about it. To make your relationship with Jesus real and living and working. And I think that's why the writer to the Hebrews says in chapter 3, In verse 7 he says, oh this is why he quotes this passage, of course. He says, <clears throat> so as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And I think he's talking about Jesus' voice. Because that's what the letter's about, isn't it? When you hear his voice, don't rebel. And he says, today, when you hear it. You're going to hear it every day if you're listening for it. If you're aware of the Lord in your life and, and in the scriptures and so on, you'll hear him and he's calling and he's talking to you and he's smiling at you and he's appealing to you because he wants you, because he loves you, because he enjoys you. But it also says in chapter 3 and verse 10, this is why I was angry with that generation. I said, their hearts are always going astray. Well, yeah, I know, my heart is. But not always. Look, if you've got an individual relationship, it's got to do with your heart, hasn't it? You've got to relate to somebody, to the Lord in honest, honesty and openness and listen to him. 
today when he talks to you, listen to him and look at his face and see in his face the fullness of joy. Exquisite joy on his face for you. Even ecstatic joy on his face for you. Let's sing again. When I look into your holiness, when I gaze into your loveliness, when all things that surround become shadows in the light of you, when I've found the joy of reaching your heart, Lord, when my will becomes enthralled in your love, when all things that surround become shadows in the light of you, I worship you. And what is this bread? Jesus tells us to break bread and drink wine in remembrance of him. Is this speaking of a dead body? The Lord isn't dead. He's alive. Is it speaking of a live and vibrant body of which we are all members? Before we share this together, Andy Ling is going to come and lead our thanks. Almighty God, our, our Father, Lord, we come to you now to say thank you for this bread. But Lord, we, we don't just think of, of this bread, bread that we, that we eat every day. We think of your son, Jesus. Lord, we do remember his death. And as we've read this morning, Unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. So, Lord, we see that Jesus' death was important. But it was important because of what came about because of it. If the seed dies, it produces many seeds. And, Lord, we see that because of Jesus' death, we can all be part of your family. We can all be part of this loaf that we share now. Lord, we thank you for that wonderful blessing, that amazing gift that we can be called children of God. Lord, that you want to call us children. Lord Jesus, that you call us brothers and sisters. And you're pleased to do that. Thank you for this bread. Amen. Thank you, Andy. Let's do as Jesus commanded us to take this bread in, remembering him. We are told to share this, which is why we have cups for us to share. And this wine 
represents the blood of Jesus. But listen, it's not dead blood. It's living. It's the life of Jesus. It's not blood at all. It's wine. And wine gives us joy. But it's a symbol of the life of Jesus flowing through us. Before we take it, John is going to lead our thanks. Mighty God, we thank you for this time of remembrance and we thank you for this sip of wine, this symbol of your dear son's blood shed for us. In the Jewish tradition, at the sad time of someone's death, the people who gathered in the home wish they, the loved ones who are left, a long life. I love that, dear Father, a long life. That they can remember the life that was lived. That they can reflect the influence that life's had on them. That they can reflect some of the joy that was shown to them in that life. And Father, you wish us a long life that we can reflect in some small way the love and the caring and the joy of your dear son. When our brother John talked today, a song popped into my mind and I don't know why it's not a song, it's not a favourite even. A song from the 60s that goes, To know, know, know him is to love, love, love him. Just to see him smile makes my life worthwhile. To know, know, know him is to love, love, love him. And I do. And we do. Amen, dear Father. Thank you, John. Thank you. Thank you for this service and your involvement and your singing and that's good we're going to conclude by singing shout for joy shout for joy to the Lord all the earth burst into jubilant song together make music to the Lord all the earth let creation respond with singing lovely isn't it lovely words let's sing them as we mean them Holy Father Thank you. Thank you, Lord, that we're able to come together and, and encourage each other and be encouraged by each other, Lord. Lord Jesus, thank you for being here with us and blessing us and giving us each other. And help us, Lord, to encourage and strengthen each other and comfort, comfort those who need comfort now. But help us also to share our faith with others who don't know and to bring others close to you. Dear Father, thank you. Thank you for your lovely Son, in whom we see the radiance of your glory. Amen.